Okay, well, I welcome you to this seminar on the symphonic harmony in the church. I'm looking forward to uh, spending the time uh, together this uh, this day, and uh, so grateful for the Lord's goodness and grace to each of us as we um, are able to gather in this uh, manner, though we are not able to be together. This virtual convention, I think, is a great idea. So, without any uh, without any further ado, I just want to. Uh, begin the seminar. I trust you're able to find uh, uh, a set of notes and have that ready to go. And um, I'm uh, looking forward to this. Uh, my name is Dan Fredericks, as I set up some things here. Um, I'm the executive director for uh, UIM International. It's a member organization of uh, IFCA. Um, we serve uh, in church planning in Canada, U.S., Mexico, now reaching into Cuba and in Central Asia, the Lord's given us opportunity uh, beyond our uh, original focus of, of um, North America to reach to some areas beyond that. But our, our core is to plant churches among indigenous people groups, and the Lord has uh, blessed that. My privilege to be serving on the board of uh, IFCA as well, so I'm grateful for this opportunity to present this seminar. The seminar that we're going to be talking about is uh, the topic on the quest of corporate harmony within the church, and I've titled it, for our purposes, The Symphonic Harmony in the Church. Uh, it's no question that uh, relationships are stressed and strained over a whole lot of reasons, but the bottom line is because we're all affected by sin. It is part of our makeup. Um, by God's grace, we have the forgiveness of sins, but in the uh, real world, we also have just those times in our Life where um, our attitudes can get out of line, our our words and actions can be displeasing to the Lord, and so we want to uh, just talk about those types of things as we think about the corporate harmony of the church. We're not going to delve into the deep um, um, conflict issues. We have a whole different set of ministries available from the IFCA for that. Our conciliation committee. On, on which I'm privileged to also serve as able to provide resources there. What we're going to be talking about are more of the little things, those things that, that get in the way of, of harmony in the church, get us out of tune with one another, and the resources that the Lord has given to us to be able to avoid that and truly have a symphonic, uh, harmonious relationships within the church. We are called to pursue peace, for example. Um, Psalm 34, uh, Romans 14, 19. 2 Timothy 2.22, uh, Hebrews 12.14, and also 1 Peter 3.11 all tell us to pursue peace and to have that pursuit for holiness. And, and that uh, Greek word, uh, dioko, is a, is a wonderful word. It has the idea of, of pursuing, even prosecuting, and even hunting something down so vigorously. It's used in a negative sense of Paul pursuing Christians in Acts chapter 9, but it's also used very positive of the believers to pursue righteousness and holiness and godliness in all our affairs. So we're pursuing peace um, and harmony within the church. Let me begin with an illustration out of my own personal life. I, When I was uh, young, probably uh, in the fourth, fifth grade, I began to learn the trumpet. And the beginning process, as any of you who have begun to learn an instrument, learn the fingering, uh, learn the scale, uh, learn the new aspects of the dynamics of music, so on and so forth. Well, I did all that, and 
I had a wonderful teacher. His name was Mr. Curry, and and he not only taught me the trumpet, but he taught everybody else uh, in my elementary band how to play their instrument as well. He was pretty amazing. Um, on through junior high school, where we actually did music together and put on programs, and then on into high school, into the concert band, even marching band. Mr. Curry was my teacher. Mr. Curry became more than just a teacher. He became one who I saw as the conductor, of the leader of, of not just my teacher, but of putting together this band. We produce music and have our concerts together. Um, one of the things I didn't enjoy doing, and that was marching band. That's a whole different story, but uh, we were involved with that, but I was glad that I was also in sports. So my time having to march was limited. And uh, so, but I did enjoy the concert aspect of music, seeing various instruments all working together in a, and let me use this term, in a synergistic fashion. It's a wonderful word for us. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, for example, also find it in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. But in 1 Corinthians, it says, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. That word synergeto is uh, another good word for us to, to understand and incorporate into our church body. So theoko, the pursuing after peace, and uh, synergeto, the, the working together in harmony. Um, there's also uh, some great words, the phoneo, which also has the idea of thinking together, being of the same mind, working together, being one. And those are all concepts from the scriptures that uh, we need to uh, grab a hold of and, and put into practice. So I played in the band. I learned some, some wonderful things. I learned that with the conductor, um, he really guides the entire movement of a, of a particular symphony. Is, and each instrument playing their parts and each individual with skill, their own instrument coming to know it and then working together as a group to produce a piece of music that, that is moving to many. It has highs, it has lows, it has, it has times of, of uh, speed and times of slow movement and can stir the emotions in so many ways. That's the power of that type of music. Well, our Lord is the conductor of the church, is he not? He is, he is the Lord, he is the head of the church, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and in Ephesians chapter 4, we're reminded of that, so very important. But other aspects of the symphony take on a person that we call the the, uh, the concert master or the first chair or the tuning fork even. It's, it's one person that guides us all into tuning our instruments to make sure that we are all playing in the same harmonious, uh, on-tune fashion. And that's the work in the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives as well. The Spirit of God was promised to us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He was anticipated in the Old Testament, for example, in, in Micah 8 and Zechariah 4 and Luke chapter 1, as, as he was promised that he would come to us. He came in the present. He came in Acts chapter 1 and, and verse 2, the birth of the church. We see his ministry throughout the New Testament. He's spoken of in, in Romans and in 1 Corinthians and in Ephesians and 1 Thessalonians and 2 Timothy. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is we were told by the Lord himself and in the upper room with his disciples and 
He explained to them, but when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. It's the ministry of the Spirit of God to be our teacher. He is the sealer of our salvation. He's the one who draws us to Christ. He speaks all things to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he is that first chair in our life. He is the one who tunes us to the great choir master. He is the one that enables us to live in, in symphonic harmony within the body of Christ. There's another element within the symphony, within the, the, um, the orchestra, and that is the score of the music itself. The conductor has before him all of the parts on, on his score of music. We are seeing our individual parts as we play our individual instrument, but it is the, the Holy Spirit of God who who guides us, our focus on the conductor as he leads us through the score of the, of the Word of God. The Word of God we know is inspired, it's inerrant, it's infallible, it's all sufficient, it is the Word of God. It's living and powerful, as it says in Hebrews chapter 4, for the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and, and piercing as far as the, the division of soul and spirit and joint and marrow and as a judge, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And that's really where we're going. It, 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 it works into the heart area. Nothing is hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare through the eyes of him with whom we have to do. We are all each individually accountable to God, even as we are individually brought to faith and we are individually indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. We are individually given gifts of the Spirit of God. All this that we might glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in a symphonic way. The various sections within the within the construct of the uh, symphony, well, the construct of the orchestra. Let me just remind us about some of these things by way of illustration as well. As we look at the various sections, we see that there are individuals. There's individuality. There is individuals playing individual instruments. Each of those instruments, though, are complementary to one another, not only within their own section, but within the, the greater body of the orchestra as well. And there's a variety of them. The strings are the largest family of instruments in the orchestra, and they come in four sizes. The, the violin is the smallest, the viola, and the cello, and the double bass, sometimes called, called the, the contrabass. Those of you uh, who may play those instruments, you know you can appreciate the dynamics of each of those. There's also the woodwind section. Again, as we look at the woodwind section, we see individuals playing individual instruments, each with their own skill. We see them complementary to one another, and we see a variety of them. The modern orchestra woodwind section typically includes flutes, oboes, clarinets, and bassoons. The piccolo and the orangelis and the and the bass clarinet, the E-flat clarinet, and so on within that woodwind uh, section of the symphonic orchestra. Similarly, we also have then the brass section. That's my section. Uh, that is also individuals playing individual instruments, but in a complementary fashion to, to one another, according to the score of the music, according to the leading, the guiding of the conductor. The brass family uh, includes uh, commonly the, the trumpet section, the French horn, the trombone, and the, and the tuba. 
and other instruments. My band director had me transition from trumpet to baritone in the course of our concert bands because we needed to fill out that section. And so that was a, a privilege to be able to do that. He transitioned me because obviously I was in first chair trumpet, uh, but uh, proficient enough to be able to transition to another instrument. And that was for the sake of the entire orchestra, uh, the entire concert band, uh, the entire symphony. Uh, the director moved us around so that uh, what he had to uh, direct, what his outcomes were, uh, we would fulfill on his behalf. There's also the percussion section within uh, the um, symphony as well. Uh, individuals playing individual instruments, but all complementary, not only to one another, but complementary to the entire score of the music, the entire purpose and flow of, of, of the music uh, production. The most common percussion instruments in the orchestra include the timpani, the xylophone, the cymbals, the triangle, the snare drum, the bass drum, the tambourine, the maracas, the gongs, the chimes, the celesta, calesta, well, and also the piano. Some of those instruments you may not, uh, you know, uh, appreciate individually, but as a collective group and in harmony with the entire orchestra, they're very, very important part. Well, as we can see from the arrangement of the orchestra, they are they're put on display in sections, sections by which the conductor can lead each of them as he holds them all together in a symphonic harmonious way to accurately put on display the written music before them as he gives it direction. So, within the church, we're sovereignly placed by the Holy Spirit of God for the glory of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us that, but now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desires for his purpose and for his glory. It's variously translated, but um, it, the bottom line is that he is the one who distributes it by the Spirit to each one, just as he determined or designed or according to his perfect will. The symphony also has various movements to it. The symphony movements are generally in, in four parts. There is the beginning or the First movement, uh, the Allegro con Brio. There's the second movement, typically, um, the Adante con Moto. Uh, there's the third movement and, of the Allegro, and there's the fourth movement, the final Allegro. Typically, that's the way it flows. Different sections, different movements, if you will, different epics. Similarly, through the course of history, which God is sovereignly in control over, there's Various movements there as well. The Bible talks about times and epics. Um, generally, in the Lord's common grace over all mankind, Acts chapter 17, for example, says, For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. We are each individually the product of, of God. We are placed in history according to his sovereign will and plan. We are told in Colossians chapter 1 that he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Um, so a great illustration for us as we think about the Lord guiding, directing, 
the entire span of history. Uh, and now we see him, of course, within the church itself, which is our focus, guiding and directing there as well. There's so much more here that we can look at, obviously, and uh, hopefully the notes will fill in some of those blanks for you. We are called to be of one accord. We're called to be of, of one mind. A symphonic one accord, if you will. Uh, we tend to get out of step with one another. We tend to get off tune from one another. We tend to perhaps become sloppy with our own piece of music. That happens. We're called to be of one accord. We're called to be of one mind. This was the characteristic of the early church and ought to be a continuing norm for us today. It's God's design. But as we know, it doesn't always last, and it didn't last that long even within the early church. And so early record of this church, we see that. Even in the book of Acts, they had, they had conflicts early on, on certain individuals that had certain needs that weren't being met, Acts chapter 6. We see later on in the development of the church that, that also they had to be admonished and exhorted to be of one mind. So as we find ourselves, we find ourselves here <clears throat> wanting to be disciplined in our own personal lives so that we will contribute to the symphonic harmony of the church. There are going to be times we get out of sorts with one another, certainly. We all have personal preferences. So that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about doctrinal issues. And we're not even talking necessarily about moral issues unless it's allowed to continue and, and, and begins to find itself in, in overt actions of stubborn sinfulness. <clears throat> we're to be of one accord. We see that throughout the book of Acts. We're to be of one mind. We see that early in the book of Acts and then also in the book of Philippians, which we'll be looking at here a little bit as well. You'll also find it in certain references in, in the Old Testament. I want us to take a moment here to look at a couple of illustrations. I think uh, when we talk about harmony in the church, there are times when we get out of harmony. And so I came across a couple of illustrations, and hopefully this will, this will connect with you as we think about um, the church. You're probably all lovers of the uh, Andy Griffith show. Um, well, you may recall this particular uh, incident uh, in one of the episodes. Uh, Barney, uh, of course, loved music, but he had a little bit of a problem. Barney thought he would move around and see exactly where the issue was. Let's take a watch. Instruction number 14A for our first selection. Ready? Can you identify with that? I think I detected a little flat note there. <laughs> well, perhaps I'm mistaken. But let's just try it again, shall we? Hazel? Well, 
springtime we breathe in song. <laughs> church maybe from time to time um perhaps it does move on to the next slide we we love our hymns we love amazing grace Amazing Grace. We love Amazing Grace. Maybe, maybe you prefer Greatest Thy Faithfulness. Amazing Grace, Greatest Thy Faithfulness, um, each sung from the heart um, individually, they're great. But <clears throat> if the two try to be combined, someone insists. <laughs> Makes the point. We'll we'll move on. But sometimes that's how conflict can can occur within the church. We can get out of harmony with one another. Um, amazing grace is wonderful, and so is great as thy faithfulness. But when one insists on one over the other, or clashing between the two, it can be certainly disarm dis disharmonious. IFCA has a conciliation manual. I encourage you to get that at some point. But basically in there, we write that there are some basic things that occur to bring disharmony in the church. There is simple misunderstandings. There are differences. Uh, there's also competition over resources. And then there are sinful attitudes. And often misunderstandings or personal preference can, can emerge from sinful attitudes or develop into sinful attitudes. And that's what we want to avoid. We want to reject that. And we want to pursue harmony. So I'm just going to suggest here as we go through uh, this together, this uh, seminar, these basic 
um, passages of Scripture. I'm sure there are others, but these ones are key, I think, in terms of developing within us. If we're disciplined ourselves and if we practice these things, to have harmony within the church. Again, as I mentioned earlier, the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, are, are a great section. Uh, and then we'll look at Ephesians chapter 4, probably not, not in full extent. We're running out of time. Uh, wisdom from above in, in James chapter 3. Um, then also the book of Hebrews chapter chapter 12. And certainly chapter 13 is uh, the writer of the Hebrews wraps that up. There's a, a whole litany of things that we're to be committed to. And then, then Philippians chapter 2 and and uh, and four, actually, the whole the whole book there um, all emphasizes this concept of being uh, one minded of one mind. But there are blessings. These are attitudes of the of the beatitudes, if you will. That we are to have. They are they are true of of the of the coming kingdom. It will be what will characterize those who live in the kingdom. But as the Lord speaks to these issues, He wants us to have these these attitudes here and now. That we are to be humble, uh, that we are to pursue holiness, if I could sum it up in those two important words. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. The point of this, uh, briefly, is that these are dispositions at the hard level. The Lord is encouraging believers to have that they might be realizing the symphonic harmony uh, among one another. Just as there's different sections in the in the symphony orchestra, there are different sections. We've seen the section of the of the Beatitudes. Um, here we have this the section of the of the spiritual gifts. We are gifted by the Holy Spirit of God. Paul writing to the Ephesians says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Be diligent to preserve, preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And key words are that we can see being of the same mind, having this attitude, we're in the book of Philippians right now in chapter chapter 2, those words in Paul's exhortation to do nothing from selfishness or empty deceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves, are foundational to our living in a symphonic, harmonious way in the church. That word, same mind, and that word, Attitude are the same Greek word, phreneo, has the idea of, of, of living in harmony with one another, thinking the same thing, understanding one another. There is the wisdom section of the church as well. Uh, we are told in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2, and 3, for example, that we have the the wisdom of God entrusted to us, and thereby we have the very mind of Christ. James writes most practically in James chapter 3 about the wisdom from above that is in stark contrast to the wisdom from below. 
But the wisdom from above will produce this symphonic harmony. Notice the contrast here. James writes, but who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Key phrase there. But if you have, you can just make a list of these. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your heart. Do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly and natural and demonic. For where uh, jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. Sort of sounds like our culture today, does it not? They're living according to the wisdom from below. This ought not to be true of the believers in Christ. Rather, what we have is we have the wisdom from above. James, then in contrast there, writes this way. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. He says, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's what the Lord was talking about in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. We see here emphasized by James to the believers. The practical application of the wisdom of God from above to help us to promote and preserve the symphonic harmony within the church. Well, let's consider what the book of Hebrews has to say for us. I apologize for a little bit of a technical glitch there. So, but anyhow, let's uh, jump into the book of Hebrews. Hebrews speak to us about a, a section that's really important, the holy harmony within the church section. And um, Hebrews chapter 13, as the writer of the Hebrews begins to draw his wonderful epistle to a close, he, he gives certain exhortations to, to the believers. Um, he reminds them about their need for a sincere love for one another, for example, in, in, in verse 1, uh, as you work your way on through the chapter, that he talks about encouraging joy. Those types of things need to characterize the, the believers, the body of Christ. The believer lives in, really, a, a realm of three dimensions. They they live in the dimension of their, their relationship with one another in the body of Christ. They also have a general responsibility to, to all, um, so to, to others in the world, believers and non-believers alike. But then, of course, their, their dimension of the relationship to the Lord, which really is the key to the whole thing, is it not? It certainly is. So the writer of the Hebrews gives to us really nine relational priorities or Nine relational disciplines or practices, uh, those things that are key to uh, symphonic harmony within the church. Let's take a look at those. Uh, there are certain priorities that uh, the writer to the Hebrew speaks of. For example, verse 1, the priority of sincere love for the brethren and uh, love for, I mean, brotherly love for all people, um, verse 1. Uh, the importance of hospitality, the priority of hospitality, verse 2. The priority of compassionate concern, particularly for those who are who are maltreated or mistreated, verse 3. The priority, for example, of moral fidelity, that responsibility for purity in all relationship, especially protecting the marriage relationship in the family, verse 4. Now in verse 5, the priority of ethical behavior with contentment in all things at the believer lives in a completely different dimension than, than the rest of the world. The priority of, of a Christ-centered worship in verses, verses 8 through 13, the, the unchanging Christ and the unchanging truth and the 
importance of spiritual stability in a unstable and a very confusing world. So what the writer to the Hebrews speaks about is, is uh, harmony within the church, certainly, but also the, the byproduct of godly people living godly lives is, is a preservation to our very culture itself and as a witness to it. He talks about the priority of sacrificial service, uh, verses 14 through 16. He talks about the priority of obedience to the, the word of God in, in, uh, in verse 17. So all of these things um, are important relational priorities uh, contributing to our holy harmony and then producing uh, symphonic harmony within the corporate body of Christ. That's Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13. Unfortunately, and part of my thought in putting this seminar together was you could spend the entire time just talking about the one another passages. Those are so very important. There are there are about 59 of them, depending upon how you count them. Some of them are a little bit repeated, but, but no less than 59 exact references to one another, the, the um, uh, elalon of the body of Christ, the importance of being focused on others. About a third of those um, uh, one other passages deal with the importance of unity within the body of Christ. Of course, unity centered on Christ because of Christ, unity that is based upon truth. Um, there is also about a third of them that, that are related to the Christian's love for one another in its, in its various dimensions. There's another portion, about 15%, that, that stresses the importance of just godly attitudes, attitudes of humility and in deference to one another within the body of Christ. And then there are general one another's as well, general exhortations to kindness and courtesy and, and holy affection towards, towards one another. So the one another passages are very, very important. Those two would be spiritual etudes, if you would, that we would practice um, in preserving and promoting and achieving this quest of, of symphonic harmony within the body of Christ. What do we do as we begin to draw this to a conclusion? Well, simply stated, practice, practice, practice. Everyone who excels in a particular uh, area of, of expertise, what have you, are not necessarily naturally gifted. In fact, most aren't. Most of those who achieve um, uh, great accomplishments generally are people who just work hard at it. Um, one researcher has discovered that every domain, whether it be uh, something such as uh, chess or sports or world-class performers have some things in common. One is that they have devoted themselves to achieve that level of accomplishment at least a decade of work of their life and, and chalking up some 10,000 hours of, of study, of effort, of practice. How much more in the, in the Christian life are we to practice, practice, practice as well? Paul writes to Timothy and he says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For godly discipline is, uh, bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. These are basics to the Christian life, and it must be uh, a part of the the Christians really daily discipline if we're to achieve the kind of harmony, symphonic harmony that we 
we would love to see within the church. So they're etudes, if you will. They are holy habits of the believer. These are expressed in a number of places in Scripture, and we've just looked at a few of them. But all of those that we have gone through in this in this seminar ought to be practiced on a on a daily basis. The Bible is is full of them. We are told that we are to um, do diligence, that we are to devote ourselves to these spiritual disciplines. I would just remind you as we begin to to um, tie this all together, Matthew chapter 5, practice the Beatitudes. Galatians chapter 5, practice the, the filling of the Spirit of God, the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of those are etudes for the believers. Ephesians chapter 4 reminds us that we have been gifted by God and we've been placed in the body, he being the head, for the purpose of serving one another and bringing glory to him. And so as we excel in our area of individual giftedness, we do it not for ourselves, but for the sake of others and for the glory of Christ Jesus. The writer to the Colossians also states similarly uh, another etude, if you will, in uh, Colossians chapter Chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, uh, the writer to the Colossian church says, Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be filled with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Everything about the Christian life is concerned for the interest of others around us, and that is how we preserve and promote a symphonic harmony within the church. Second Peter chapter 1 is uh, a litany of, of things that we are to build upon as we continue to grow in sanctification, continue to grow in the things of Christ. Well, let's look at Philippians as we wrap this up. As we think about some of the key words we've, we've talked about today, I just remind you about the importance of pursuing the word dioko. It's a pursuit. It's a, it's a quest. It is a hunting, going after. It's a, even a, a, a persecution, if you will, uh, in our zeal to strive to have these godly characteristics in our life. And we are to pursue holiness and, and righteousness without which no one will see the Lord the writer of the Hebrews once again states in, in Hebrews chapter 12. There should be a, a synergistic relationship as well. Synergeo, the, the word is, the idea of working together with one another, working together with God, Paul writes to the, to the Corinthians, synergistically. Phreneo, being a one mind, one attitude, and that really is the, the key word, harmony. In fact, Paul will refer, that, refer to that again here in Philippians. Well, let me just remind you now, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, for example, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, serving together for the faith of the gospel. That ties it all together. It's right after Paul's own confession of his desire to 
for him to live as Christ and to die as gain. To remain behind is beneficial for the believers, but, but to be with Christ is even more better. But he continued to press on. It was his holy pursuit. It was his quest. And it was his heart cry that the believers be characterized by symphonic harmony. That's Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 2, we're familiar with as well, verses 1 through 5, exhorting us to be of one mind. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Have this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, that theme continues in, in chapter 3 as well. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Finally, my brother, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is not a trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you, Paul writes. He says, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. That sums it up, doesn't it? That is the goal of true worshipers. That is the goal of the Christian life. That is another attitude for the believer. We pursue that to preserve symphonic harmony in the church. And then Paul wraps up the book, famously addressing a couple of important issues. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Yodia, and I urge Syntyche, to live in harmony. There's our word again. Proneo, in the Lord. Live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, my true companion, I ask, I ask you to help these women who have shared with my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul goes on and gives an etude, does he not, to the believers. He gives them the etude in verse 8. Finally, my brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. These things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Well, this is how the believers grow in symphonic harmony within the church. This is how we bring glory to our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that it's true of you. I pray it will stir your heart even as it has stirred mine. We are to practice the attitudes of the Christian life. We are to discipline ourselves around those holy habits. We are to bring glory to Christ. Stand firm in the Lord. Resist and resolve personal disagreements because of Christ. Because of our love for one another. Set aside those little things, those little foxes that would just bring unnecessary disruption in the church. Keep your hearts and minds devoted to prayer. Purify your thoughts with discipline. Practice the word you profess to believe. Well, our symphony has a conductor, and our quest for symphonic harmony is dependent upon us following the lead of our head, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. 
He has granted to us the Holy Spirit of God. He has given us his word. And because of all those spiritual resources that he has granted to us, we can have a symphonic relationship. We can have symphonic harmony in the church. Well, thank you for spending this time with me today. I trust it's been an encouragement to your heart. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the time we've had together today and these wonderful truths around the symphonic, the nature of the symphonic harmony within the church. Lord, bless these truths to our heart by your Holy Spirit, through your 